Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Thursday, the 29th of April, which means it is Jan Fran's birthday. Happy birthday, Jan. (laughs) Thank you so much for remembering, even though I had to remind you just before we started recording. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But it is my birthday, yeah. it's. um, I was going to say it's the big 3-6, but... 3-6 3-6 doesn't really seem like a big birthday date, does it? It's like a relatively big number, but it's not big in terms of an exciting number. Yeah, it's sort of just, it's, it's a number among the fold. I don't think I'm going to do anything too special on my birthday. Try and get an early night. <laughs> what were you doing this time last year? Uh, I was probably at home Stuck during lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Somehow, it's a better birthday than what it was last year. Yeah. All right, let's get into today on our briefing. Uh, It's the show you either love to hate or hate to love. Yeah, we're going to take a look at why we're so obsessed with married at first sight and also ask the question, is there a darker side to seeing people at their worst? It was quite confronting to watch the sort of emotional and psychological abuse that was shown on screen and not necessarily being called out by experts. That is today's briefing in just a moment. First, here are the big headlines. Well, Olympians are going to have to get tested for COVID every day at the Tokyo Games as Japan grapples with its growing COVID infections. Yeah, this directive is part of an overhaul of Olympic rules unveiled by the International Olympic Committee and the Japanese government overnight. Yeah, the athletes are also going to be barred from using public transport um, and they'll only be allowed to eat at Olympic Village cafeterias and also in their own rooms. Well, that sounds grim, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I don't. I certainly don't think they're going to have as much fun as what they've had previous years, that's for sure. What's the point of going to Japan if you can't go to all the restaurants? Oh, Probably winning a medal. Representing your country, that, yeah. that's also another reason, yeah. Yeah, so Olympians and officials still won't have to be vaccinated for COVID, but they will have to quarantine for three days upon arrival. Yeah, Japan's really not doing very well in terms of COVID cases. So at the moment, they're averaging about 5,000 new COVID cases per day. If you look at what they were averaging this time last year, it was around 200 um, so a massive jump from one year ago and also less than 2% of the population of Japan is vaccinated. So all those things don't don't point in a very good direction. But the government is confident that they've got it under control and the games will go ahead. And I guess that's why they're making people eat just in the village and in their rooms. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see who wins the events, but it's just also interesting to watch how they're going to pull this thing off. Totally. India is continuing to break very grim COVID records. Uh, There were more than 360,000 new COVID cases in the country yesterday, the worst of any country in one day since the pandemic began. The situation is critical right now, and these two weeks are going to be a hell for us. That was a doctor in Delhi speaking at a hospital yesterday. Um, There are also more than 3,000 COVID deaths recorded yesterday, but it's feared the real number could be a lot worse. Yeah, that's right. Well, the fear is that there are people that just are simply not presenting for testing. Mm. So um, it's difficult to actually gauge the number of people in India who were infected with COVID. You know, things like mass burials and funeral pyres are apparently a very common sight in Delhi now. Yeah, and so are massive events where people are not social distancing as well. There was a big um, rally for the Prime Minister um, this week. There's also, you know, people washing together in the river in some cities. Other countries that have been at their worst, like the US, for example, when they were at similar case numbers, they got up to um, 300,000 on the the worst part of the pandemic and um, 
by that stage, they were finally introducing those other measures as well. So that's why I think there's this real fear about India just continuing to go up from here. China slammed Australia's increased defence spending and the government, though, says that the boost is all in the name of peace. The Prime Minister Scott Morrison was in the Northern Territory yesterday announcing more than $700 million of upgrades for military bases in the region, but he's maintained he's not putting the country on an aggressive war footing. Our objective here in this part of the world is a free and open Indo-Pacific. Our objective here is to ensure a peaceful region. Chinese government spokesman yesterday said that Australian politicians were quote-unquote troublemakers. Um, Again, he criticised the government for holding on to what he called a Cold War mentality. And Jan, the Home Affairs Secretary Mike Pizzullo has also clarified some of his comments about war. Yeah, he made some um, comments during an Anzac Day speech um, suggesting that the drums of war were beating and saying that once again free nations were hearing the beating drums of war, which uh, alarmed some people, including Bill Shorten and uh, the WA Premier Mark McGowan. It adds to sort of this increasing rhetoric around our fraying relationship with China because just a few days ago, the Defence Minister Peter Dutton also said that conflict in our region regarding Taiwan shouldn't be discounted. So it's all part of this sort of slowly escalating rhetoric around a possible conflict in the region with China. Yeah, doesn't make me feel that comfortable. No, I'm not hugely (laughs) comfortable about it either. The government has said that bringing unemployment down to 5% is a key objective for the upcoming budget. Yeah, so the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, is today expected to announce that the government will basically keep spending money until the unemployment rate falls from where it's currently sitting, which is at 5.6%. Yeah, it peaked at 7% last year, but it hasn't been as low as 5% in more than a decade. And the Treasurer is expected... Just to keep spending, mm. um, they're going to spend at least $50 billion or go for more than $50 billion into the red again for next month's budget. Government spending's not something that you'd hugely associate with a Liberal government, but again, it's an unprecedented pandemic. They've had to spend last year to keep propping up the economy and it looks like they're going to have to do that again this year and not really think about budget repair until at least 2022. Yeah, so I guess the long-running context here is that uh, when they were in opposition and Tony Abbott was the leader, they were slamming uh, Labor for, you know, the debt and deficit disaster under Kevin Rudd and Julie Gillard, which happened because of their response to the global financial crisis in 2008. Uh, And they were boasting about getting back into black right before the pandemic hit. And since then, um, they've essentially taken a more centrist position and and injected a lot of money into the Australian economy to keep us uh, afloat during this bizarre time. And I guess this is where it starts to get interesting. Do they go back to um, their old position of really trying to rein in spending and get us back into surplus? Or as we're seeing, it looks like they're going to keep spending money because they want to keep bringing unemployment down. And Michael Collins, who flew the Apollo 11 lunar module while Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, has died. Yeah, Collins stayed in the module, which was circling the moon while Armstrong and Aldrin uh, got onto the moon's surface in that famous moment in 1969. He died of cancer yesterday. He was 91. um, And Buzz Aldrin is the only one still alive. You'd be a bit pissed off if you got all the way to the moon and weren't able to walk on it, wouldn't you? Well, it was probably like part of the deal. I don't think they did rock, scissors, paper when they got to the moon. <laughs> you never know. You weren't there. True. Did they even walk on the moon? <laughs> um, to more serious stuff, it's time to talk maths.
the show that we love to hate or is it the show that we hate to love? Yeah, not sure. Your legs are like 7-Eleven. They're open for business 24-7. Last night at the dinner party. I don't even think we should be having this conversation. You swap numbers and you've been talking to each other. Learn about each other to expand your horizons. How can that be good? The emotion. Who among us has not cancelled plans to literally sit in our pyjamas and watch maths? Except probably for me. Um, I'm not a huge watcher of the show, but it does seem that I am the exception here. Yeah, 1.8 million people watched the finale last Sunday, so it's absolutely huge. It started in 2015. Um, That finale even beat the Oprah interview. Can you believe? We just didn't connect as well as obviously I hoped. Now I know why. As well as eyeballs, though, the show does attract some criticism from mental health experts, anti-domestic violence campaigners and former contestants. Yeah, so on this episode of The Briefing, we're going to take a deep dive into maths, why we love it, why we love to hate it, and does it send dangerous messages about bad behaviour in relationships? So for anyone who hasn't watched it, it's a reality TV show where a bunch of strangers get paired together by experts and they start the relationship by getting married. Unofficially, right? Yeah, unofficially. So they they meet for the first time at the altar. They basically spend the next few weeks as a married couple um, to see if they end up together. Massive spoiler alert, the majority of couples don't. (laughs) Um, But the show is full of these big personalities, drama, fights, tears, lying, cheating, tantrums, and sometimes some toxic behaviour among contestants. Originally, it was, a, it was a sense of people seeing themselves in there and when wondering, what would I do under those circumstances? Over time, I think we've, we've come to see it as a kind of entertainment form in itself. It's like, how much can the producers fake up the drama? So that's David Dale. He's a Walkley award-winning journalist and he spent 20 years as a media and TV columnist for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. He says that viewers... They don't really take maths too seriously. Given that 1.8 million Australians watched the final episode, you could take one view, which is that 1.8 million Australians are morons, but I don't think so. Um, I mean, it's so obviously faked up. I think that people are watching it in a sense of irony, Uh, you know, that they're watching it to laugh at the uh, absurdities of it, rather than getting involved in the soap opera and, you know, breathlessly waiting to see who gets off with whom, uh, they're watching to see how far reality television has come in kind of presenting us with phony drama. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with David Dale there. That sounds like really coming from the perspective of someone who analyses TV genres for a living. I think most people do see themselves in those dramas and you know, get a real kick out of watching people um, go through those more hectic versions of what happens in their own life. Tarung Chola has a very different perspective and a very different life experience. He's far more concerned about maths. As a, an outspoken campaigner against men's violence against women, it was quite uh, confronting to watch the sort of emotional and psychological abuse that was shown on screen and not necessarily being called out by experts. So Taring's sister Nikita was murdered by her husband in 2015. Since then, he's become a very outspoken anti-domestic violence campaigner. I think one of the things about uh, having had that personal experience of losing a loved one to domestic violence, uh, it obviously opens your eyes up to the importance of 
the media in terms of shaping public attitudes around domestic and family violence and particularly violence against women by showing abuse and normalizing abuse in the way that it does it's deeply concerning and alarming for those of us who care deeply about the issue a lot of the emotional abuse that one of the particular um, contestants on the show displayed around gaslighting was problematic, especially because it wasn't called out by the experts. And we know that that's one of the building blocks of more serious forms of violence against women. That's a pretty full on perspective from Tarang there. I mean, when you see those behaviours on a spectrum with fatal domestic violence at one extreme end of that spectrum, you clearly take it a lot more seriously. Yeah, let's speak to someone who's been on the show. Uh, Michael Goonan was one of the more controversial contestants on last year's season. So he was matched with Bride, Stacey Hampton, the pair broke up, and then he went on to find love with intruder Casey Osborne. Now, they lasted about five months before it ended. Michael, having been on the show, do you have any concerns about it? I didn't know what I was signing up for in an, in an essence. I mean... Yes, I understood that uh, I'd be obviously scrutinised during the uh, during the show, and and sort of it would uh, bring to light um, the events of uh, of what happened during my period on the show. But I guess the biggest shock for me and my experience was after the show, um, how much sort of uh, public scrutiny and how many people sort of want to weigh in their opinion um, on on who they deem your character to be on the show. So that was the hardest thing to deal with, I guess. But in terms of being on the show. I had a good experience. Do you have any concerns about the show more broadly? Because we did hear from an anti-domestic violence campaigner just a moment ago. Um, He was someone who lost his sister to a violent relationship. He's been very outspoken about particularly men's violence against women. Did you have any concerns about the show more generally in in that regard? And do you think that behaviour sometimes happens on the show, albeit at the lower end of that sort of sliding scale? I think what's more confronting to the viewers that have had, you know, um, sort of uh, bad experiences in relationships with domestic violence, which is obviously huge, serious, um, guys forcing themselves on girls, things like that. I think a lot of it brings up sort of, it triggers past uh, traumas that people have experienced on the outside when they can sort of view in and see see similar behaviour happening in a relationship. Mm-hmm. However, it is a very safe environment when you're on the show. You have multiple um, sources of help if you need it. We're not held at gunpoint. We're not got our back against the wall. Yes, we sign a contract. Has Channel 9 ever sued anyone on their contract? Absolutely not. So if you ever feel like you're in a position where you can't tolerate the experiment or it's uh, becoming you know, um, a drain on your mental health, walk away. Michael, how edited is the show and how much do producers play a role in shaping the narrative versus what the narrative sort of is organically? Well, look, I mean, there's probably 25 hours of filming um, per week for each couple once they're into the actual experiment. So you can imagine that probably gets divvied up to about an hour of content. So there's vast amounts of editing. But at the end of the day, if you're filming someone for 25 hours, you're going to pick the highlights. Um, Their job is to entertain an audience. Their job is for people to work hard, get home, put the TV on and escape from their reality. At the end of the day, if you don't want to fuel the beast, don't watch the show. Michael, what did you get out of it? What gain did you get? Was it about getting a social media following? Was it was there that much money in it? Was it was it really about love? I'm like tell what you was exactly it? what it was about. So to me, it was simple. I thought, you know what? What are the chances of me finding love on this show? 
probably not very high. But at the end of the day, in the circumstances, if you bump into someone regardless, you're going to give love a shot if it's perfect. you know what I mean? At least now when I bump into a random or, or something, they actually know what I'm actually like. So it makes it a lot easier to, uh, to I guess, meet girls. <laughs> wow, still, there you go. You've, uh, you, there you go. You got to the point to help you meet more girls after yeah, the show. Yeah, so we, we got there in the end. I was wondering <laughs> where not, you're going with that, Thanks Michael. for being honest with that. I guess, see why gonna, you were good. I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, you know. <laughs> I love it. Join maths to meet girls. All right. So that was Michael Goonan being quite... um. Candid there, Jan, about why he went on the show. Honest, yes, exactly. Well, let's speak to a psychologist and relationship expert now, Jackie Manning. She was an expert actually on the Channel 7 reality relationship show, The Super Switch. She's watched maps for years. Last year, though, decided to switch off. I did stop. I just found it too much. I used to be able to extrapolate, you know, the what was really going on underneath, and I'm always interested in human behaviour the good, the bad and the ugly, but I just found watching last season, it was just just too much, too stressful. What about it was too much or too stressful for you? In the earlier seasons, I think it was a little more, a little less fabricated and so it was a little more genuine, particularly the first season with fly on the wall stuff, people went to their houses, they didn't have the dinner parties. I can't remember what season the dinner parties came in, to be honest. It just seemed to escalate into a frenzy kind of feeling last year and maybe it was because of the stress of lockdown and, you know, we're already dealing with life. It was just, I just thought, I don't want to be around that energy right now. It's clearly a turbocharged version of reality and that's because it's on TV. Mm -hmm. But the behaviours are not any different to what goes on in, in real life, you know, people disappointing each other, cheating on each other, lying pushing people around. So what, what's the harm in seeing this turbocharged version of reality on TV? Look, there can be harm and there can be good that comes out of it. As you say, these kind of behaviours do go on in relationships and, in, and things including the gaslighting that I think has been evident this season. And sometimes when people are in a relationship that is harmful like that, they genuinely don't see it. When you're in something it's very hard to get perspective on it. So these shows can be useful in terms of highlighting, oh, I recognise that pattern, or oh, that feels bad to me watching that, but hang on, my partner did the same thing to me, so maybe I should rethink how I've reacted to that. So that's the positive side. I guess the harm is if the toxic behaviours appear to be somewhat celebrated or accepted, then that's just perpetuating the the harmful attitudes that already exist in our society and that should be rooted out. But lots of those behaviours are called out by the other contestants or even by the experts. Like on the finale, they they busted someone for lying who'd been complaining about all these other people, you know, pretty much gaslighting mm-hmm. behaviour and they, they called it out. So there is some degree of accountability. Are you arguing that Maybe if they did a, an even better job of that, it could be quite an educational program. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I 100% think that. I think there was a couple of years ago, a few years ago, where there was some, some bullying going on towards a girl. And I thought if Channel 9 had just stopped and gone, you know, ran the show as they as they wanted to, got the drama, got all that in, and then debriefed it a little bit more to say this is why this was wrong or, or highlighting aspects mm. of that and trying to teach the pub, the public. I think that would be awesome. 
we relate to stories far more than just reading information in the news or in a book. And so it could do a lot of good in that way if it was handled the right way. Jackie Manning, psychologist there. I think that was a really interesting point that she made, that this is a real opportunity to educate people about relationships. People are watching this at home, reflecting on their own situations. And, you know, it's, it's a tricky balancing act for a television network to sort of weigh up entertainment versus education. But a mm. slight, you know, given it's going so well with the ratings, a slight tweak towards education could do a lot of good. Yeah, so you reckon just a little nudge in that direction and mm. the show could have a, a, a quite a positive effect on society? Yeah, I don't, I don't think the show's particularly bad. Like, um, it's it just it happens in people's lives all the time. Yes, it's turbocharged for reality TV, but we've had reality TV since Big Brother came in 2001, so we get that. But yeah, just a bit more information about how those behaviours can be harmful and, and how far they can go, then we might actually learn a lot about healthier relationships. All right, tomorrow on The Briefing, uh, the US President Joe Biden has now had 100 days in office. Find out what he has actually done. Listener.